0: Peter, it's lovely to have you back in the studio. It is that time of the week where you like to help as many people as possible with health and well-being.
1: That's right. That's a lovely way to put it too. And I hope that um, you know, that what we talk about really does um, help people a lot with their health concerns.
0: What are we chatting about today?
1: Well, today we're going to be talking about um, IBS or irritable bowel syndrome. And it is probably the most common presentation that I get um, with patients coming into work. And it seems to be more and more people are having trouble with digestive issues these days.
0: It is very common. It's one of those topics that I was joking about before and said it uh, rhymes with pit. It's a pit topic, quite <laughs> literally, but one that we do need to cover because, as you said, more it's, and more uh, people have it. It affects a lot it. of people. But, Peter, I couldn't believe it. Like, you know, ev- everyone seems to be suffering from this these days.
1: Yeah, and it's one of those things that it can happen at any age. Like you can have good gut health for years and then – Go to, a, like we were talking about, go on holidays to Bali or somewhere, get a bit of a gut bug. And then when you come home, all of a sudden you can't have dairy and you can't have wheat. Like all of a sudden you realize that food is upsetting your gut. So Very yeah, it can develop or or I'm really seeing a lot more of it with younger people these days too from the get-go. So.
0: Irritable bowel syndrome. Peter, you're seeing this more and more every week.
1: Yeah, look, it's one of the, as I was saying, one of the most common presentations that I see is um, people with gut health issues. Um, it's been estimated that it approximately affects one in five people nationally, but I'd, I'd suspect it's even higher. And there's all sorts of varying degrees with irritable bowel. Like some people just get a bit of bloating sometimes. Some people get the full-on, you know, diarrhea or constipation or, you know, fluctuating from one to another. Mm. Um, but bloating, bloating is probably one of the most common um, presentations with IBS,
0: And we were saying before, people may not realise that's what they have initially because you can be fine for for years and years and you might get, you know, to your 30s or 40s or beyond and all of a sudden you're finding that you do have uh, IBS or issues and you're not sure that that's what it is because you have been so well.
1: Yeah, and, and also too, like often you don't think that your food or your diet can be a contributing factor because you've been eating those same foods for such a long period of time and i b s as a as a like a medical diagnosis do diagnosis rather is often made at the end point of a whole lot of other testing, so you know you'll often go in to see your doctor or a naturopath with gut health issues, but we need to rule out things like celiac disease we need to rule out you know ulcerative colitis or crohn's disease yeah um so often it's a process of elimination, and then when everything else has been ticked off the list and you definitely don't have anything more serious, even though irritable bowel is serious enough, then often you're sort of given that diagnosis of having an irritable bowel.
0: So how much of a part does diet play with IBS?
1: Well, diet, diet, as you can imagine, like our digestive tract is 18 to 28 feet long. It's massive and there's more nerves in our gut than there are in our brain and our central nervous system. So it's a, it's, a, it's a big organ, it's under the control or it should be under the control of our parasympathetic nervous system. So once we eat something, we shouldn't have to do anything about that or know anything about that until we get the urge to go to the toilet. Mm-hmm. You know, we shouldn't be getting symptoms of reflux or bloating or constipation or diarrhea or wind. Like, there are signs that things are out of balance. Okay. And I, I sort of think, you know, first and foremost, that irritable bowel is, is a functional problem you know there's something wrong with the way the guts functioning um so <clears throat> and i think a lot of that has to do with the nervous system and stress and we'll talk a bit about that later but i've got patients that um have fantastic diets lots of fiber you know lots of veggies etc cetera, etc cetera, and they're still getting symptoms of irritable bowel so it's a it's a combination of things um one of the first things that i find is a big factor and this is for people you know, just for all of us generally, is that none of us are eating enough fibre. And I know, I don't mean to oversimplify that, but for a lot of my patients that get constipation, um, again, it can be because the bowel's not functioning properly, but it can be, one part is due to lack of fibre. Okay. So it's estimated that women need on average 35 grams of fibre a day, men roughly 30. So if you can imagine an apple has four grams of fibre Not much. Not much. So you know, a bowl of muesli. Is that psyllium husks? That's one of the things I usually recommend for people for starters. My dad does that every morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On his cereal. (laughs) Yeah, and psyllium husk is psyllium husk is great for a lot of people, but for some people, it can be a bit like adding quick add, you know, quick set concrete if your bowels already congested.
0: Okay. Right. So if you're already constipated,
1: you've kind of got to get the bowel working properly, and then um, psyllium's a really good fibre though to help clear the bowel. Um, I'll often use a mixture. I recommend a mixture of psyllium husk and um, slippery elm.
0: Oh yes, yep,
1: It's good. It sort of acts to put a nice lining or coating on the gut. And I find if someone's getting swinging between diarrhea and constipation, then psyllium husk and slippery elm together work really well to try and regulate that. Yeah, right. Acts like as a big gentle broom to make sure everything's clearing out properly. Okay. Um, and then other fibres are things like chia seeds. But you do have to be a bit careful with chia seeds if you've got diverticulitis because the little seeds can get stuck. Yeah, yes. Um, Same with linseeds. Like I always recommend, you know, grinding up your linseeds, grinding up your chia seeds so that you sort of reduce that risk. And they're they're great fibres and good sources of essential fats and um, protein as well.
0: Peter, you've got here consumption of the FODMAP. What's that?
1: Yeah, well, the, one of the only, and this is, this is just an interesting thing from a naturopathic point of view, but one of the only um, dietary approaches uh, the medical profession often will recommend, and it's only relatively new, is the FODMAP diet if anyone's got irritable bowel syndrome. And the FODMAP diet, FODMAP stands for fermentable oligosaccharides, disaccharides, maltitols and polyols. And what they are is they're large oh. sugar-type molecules that occur in a wide range of foods that if they're not digested properly, pardon me, they end up in the large bowel where they get um, eaten by the bacteria there. Right. And that creates the gas and the bloating. Right. So pardon me. So the FODMAP diet is avoiding all of these foods that can possibly cause gas and bloating.
0: Okay. So you eliminate them.
1: Yeah. You cut them all out. Okay. I'm not such a fan of cutting them all out, but lactose is an example of a FODMAP if you don't break lactose into glucose and galactose the two sugars that make up lactose then the lactose ends up in the bowel and you'll get di- can get diarrhea and gas and wind uh legumes you know beans yep. beans means farts <laughs> <Yeah. coughs> so you know those Good for windy the heart. Yeah, you find the
0: more you eat them. Yeah, yeah, we know. Okay, <laughs> I, I I am four. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's funny how those things do yeah, stick in yeah. our mind. Um, so yeah, so another example of a fodmap for some people is like fructose. So this is where someone has watermelon and gets really gaseous or bloating or an apple even. So sure, you, it helps you to work out what foods you might be reacting Trigger to. You. Yeah, Garlic yeah. and onion is also an example of a fodmap where you make a nice stir fry for yourself and then you get all gassy and bloated yeah, after. Yeah, okay. It can be the garlic and onion. So, yeah, FODMAPs is one of the first things we sort of look at to see, you know, how much they might be contributing to those symptoms of IBS.
0: Irritable bowel syndrome or IBS. And looking at food intolerances. Now, a lot of people are food intolerant, Peter, so they eat a certain food and then they just don't feel well after it. Yeah, this is,
1: this is one of the... Um, yeah, tre- interesting things when you're helping someone to navigate foods and diets when someone has an irritable bowel because the FODMAP is a, is a, um, a nice place to start, but we'll often do um, testing for what's called – so FODMAPs more a reaction between sugars not digested and your bacteria in your gut. Okay. Um, the next thing or one of the first things we often look at though is food intolerances. So food intolerances aren't food allergy – So most times people know if they're allergic to something because if you eat something you're allergic to, you get an immediate reaction. Yeah. So you kind of know what you're allergic to. So food intolerance is what we call an IgG response. It's a different immune response to allergy, which is IgE.
0: Right. Oh, that's interesting to know. Yeah,
1: yeah. And a lot more research is sort of supporting this idea of food intolerances. So how a food intolerance develops often is because we're eating the same foods over and over and over. And after a while, the immune system initially is quite okay with that. But after a while, the immune system starts to become intolerant to those foods and starts to react.
0: So it doesn't get used to the foods. It actually starts it to reject It can oh. go, go the
1: opposite. And, that, and it can be triggered after, say, someone's had a gut bug. Yeah, okay. Where everything goes crazy and now all of a sudden you can't tolerate um, wheat. Yes. You know, you might have bread and feel really bloated afterwards or feel like you've got to have a sleep you know, an hour later or something like that. Um, So, you know, the most common food intolerances that we see are um, the foods that we eat a lot, wheat, um, sometimes gluten also, Mm. Um, often always dairy products, the protein in dairy though, not the lactose, the protein. Um, Egg is a really common one that we see as well, which is a pain because often people that are cutting out dairy and, you know, wheat – uh, substituting by having more They're eggs in their diet. They're going to
0: rely on eggs, yeah. Um,
1: nuts sometimes and also yeast. But um, the challenge with something, so food intolerances definitely can be aggravating a lot of the symptoms of IBS. But sure. Keep in mind what I said, there's still a uh, a functional problem as well. So it's like a combination it's of two things. two parts almost. Yeah. So with food intolerances though, one thing that's really important for anyone listening is that If you've been somewhere and someone and you've worked out that you're intolerant to gluten, intolerant to wheat, you don't have to necessarily cut out that food for the rest of your lives. Like a lot of people see naturopaths and I'll see them years later and they'll say, yeah, I saw a naturopath years ago and they said, I can't eat any dairy and wheat. And it's not strictly speaking true. You don't want to avoid foods forever if you can tolerate them to a certain point. Okay. So what we recommend is cutting out the offending foods for a period of time Work on healing and repairing the gut, getting the good bacteria back in balance, and then working out how much dairy you can tolerate.
0: Right. So it doesn't mean you can't eat it forever. That's You've just exactly got to build right. on getting the problem sorted, and then slowly reintroducing yeah, levels yeah. So that you, you might can find, handle.
1: You might find, with say, um, um, dairy products, that yogurt's fine because the in the the making of yogurt, the bacteria break down the lactose, but they also digest some of the protein. So like yogurt might be fine and that's a healthy food to add into the diet if you can tolerate it sure okay
0: peter this is super interesting the gut brain access and i was having a bit of a read of it and went ah so we all know what it's like if we're nervous or anxious we might get symptoms of like butterflies or you might feel unwell um in the stomach you might go to the toilet more often that is all connected
1: absolutely yeah absolutely it's really interesting like our our gut our gut and brain are connected in numerous ways. Um, we've got the vagus nerve, and there's a whole whole new area of interest and research going into what's called the vasovagal reflex, which is the effect of the vagus nerve on both gut function and brain function. Um, we also have all the nerves in the gut, like there's more messages go from our gut to our brain than there is from our brain to our gut. And a lot of people I find that have chronic IBS also have either symptoms of anxiety or depression as ah, well. Ah,
0: okay. Because they they can be very much linked.
1: They're very much linked. And even in the old days, a lot of the old gastroenterologists would prescribe an antidepressant to someone with severe gut issues just to try and disconnect that stress oh, response. Oh, okay. But yeah, all those old phrases we use, you know, stewing over something, you know. Yes. Got, yeah. a, got pain in the gut. Like, they're, they're all sort of indications of that connection between the brain and the gut. And... Uh, as I was saying before, like that sometimes someone will come in and say, oh, but I'm not stressed. I never get stressed. But their body's stressed and often it can be showing up in their gut.
0: Yeah. Okay. And that can be one of the first signs, I guess. Your your brain doesn't realize it, but your gut does.
1: Well, so many times I think we're a bit disconnected with our bodies. Yeah. You know, and we sort of, we, we can have all these gut issues going on, but we don't realize that, you know, life is busy and stressful because we think we're coping fine. But I always say, you know, the stress has to show up somewhere, yes. and often when someone is stressed, you know, they might hold it around their neck and their shoulders, but invariably, you know, a lot of that stress is held around the gut.
0: Well, Peter, we now know some of the symptoms of IBS. When we come back, let's look at uh, some of the solutions, I guess, how we can manage it. Yeah, definitely. So we've been looking at IBS, and now we're going to have a look at what we call gut flora.
1: Yeah, so two more things that, you know, and there's quite a few things that can contribute to having an irritable bowel, but two more things, um, an imbalance in your good and bad gut bugs and what can cause those good gut bugs to be knocked around is history of antibiotic use, alcohol, cigarette smoking, um, sugar, processed foods. You know, a lot of, we call them the gut disruptors. So there's a lot of things that we can be doing daily to really upset that gut flora. Sure. And then that imbalance of good and bad gut, gut bugs can, you know, leave you open to more gut symptoms. And it can also leave you open to um, other gut um, infections like parasites, like giardia, blastocystis hominis, um, worms. Mm. You know, all of these things tend to thrive more when that gut is out of balance, whereas when our gut's in balance, they they don't tend to have a foothold to grow. more on guard. More more on guard. (laughs) So it's surprising how many people have you know, low-grade infections in their bowel that they're not even aware of as well. So,
0: Okay, so how do we manage this so we don't get to a point where we're getting infections and we're really unwell?
1: Well, look, the, the again, the naturopathic approach is that individualized approach of trying to work out what someone's drivers are. You know, some of the things we'll look at is what is the ideal diet for you? So you'd you know, do a
0: fod map to begin with. Well,
1: we'd probably do more food intolerance testing. Okay. And then what? What I like to use the fod map sheet as an as an add on. Okay. That say you're eating really healthy, but you eat something and get bloated, like an apple. You can look at the fod map sheet and say, oh, okay, fructose might be an issue. What are the low fructose fruits?
0: Okay, I'm with you now. That's
1: kind of how I use the fod map as an add, add, add on to our already low inflammatory diet or food intolerance sort of diet. Um, So getting the diet right is really key because Mm -hmm. you want to be making sure you're still providing plenty of the right foods for your good bacteria. So plenty of good prebiotic foods. Again, just being careful that those prebiotic foods aren't creating more gas and bloating, you know, like psyllium husk. Um, So they're they're all your good fiber sort of foods. Um, And we talked about some of those psyllium chia seeds, flax seeds, ground up. Yep. Um, also, getting onto the right probiotic, and it's kind of interesting. There's a lot of research around probiotics. We used to think that they did colonize the gut, but now we know they influence the environment, encourage the growth of good bacteria. Yeah. But different. Making sure you're taking the right probiotic for you. Different ones work for different. Okay,
0: so you can't just go right. That's a probiotic. You won't get. You won't get good. that targeted approach. Okay. Like
1: if you've got the diarrhea sort of IBS, you need to be taking either a Saccharomyces boulardii or uh, L-plantarum, like specific strains that have been shown to help with that type of irritable bowel. That makes sense. So getting on the right probiotic. Um, you know, if there is gut bugs, doing something about it, doing a bit of a gut bug cleanse or a bit of a gut detox. Um, working on supporting the nervous system if stress is a big driver for that person. And then it's all the lifestyle stuff to reduce stress, make sure you're sleeping properly, et cetera, et cetera. But the trick, as always, with any health condition is to really find out what what your personal drivers are, you know, because not all irritable bowel responds to the same type yeah, of treatment. So it's that individualised a... approach makes a difference.
0: Well, Peter Mullin, thank you. That was very educational today. My
1: pleasure. You will be pleasure, back next as week. Yes, With next With another
0: week. topic, no doubt. And
1: I'm not sure what I'll be talking about next week, oh, but I'm so. sure it will be Good interesting. it whole seven
0: days. Yeah, of course it will. <laughs> <laughs> and, Thanks, of course, Sarah. if you've got a question, you can always head to our website to email 2NURFM.com.au.
1: Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.